All right, folks, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to uh, John chapter 12. If you, if you have your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of John chapter 12. Now, here's what we're doing. We're, we're continuing on. We're actually getting close to, you know, we've, we've kind of, we're looking at the Gospel of John, and we can kind of divide John into four main sections. We've gone through the first section already. We're in the midst of our second section, which is chapters 7 through 12. And that section has been focused on how people are reacting to Jesus, and primarily a lot of them are rejecting him. We're getting ready to, here in a few weeks, get into chapters 13 through 16, and we're going to see what Jesus is telling us about what he's doing for you and I as he gets ready to leave. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit and other things. And then the final section is, of course, the crucifixion and what happens after that. But let's get back to chapter 12. We're talking about doing this study through John because we want to meet Jesus. We want to get to know him. And really, can I be honest with you? That's the most important thing. I mentioned it in my prayer. It's not about knowledge. Doctrine is good. But it's what you do with it. And where does it lead you in your relationship with him? Do you understand what I'm saying? It's about getting to know someone personally and intimately. So, okay, so this, this young lady down here, Lori, I met her in 1991. We got married in 93. So here we are. We're getting ready to celebrate 29 years together in June. And I'll be honest with you, I am growing in my understanding of her, and she's constantly blowing my mind. And she's growing in her understanding of me and growing in her frustration of me. And, uh, you know, the reality was is how, how do we have a relationship? We have to interact with each other. I can't just go by, like when we were dating, what somebody else said about Lori Weaver. I had to personally interact with Lori Weaver, who is now Lori Cannon, to, to know her. I can't just go by what my kids say about her. Okay? I got I to gotta personally interact with her and see how she reacts and reprimands me. You know what I'm saying? I've got to personally interact with her. And she's got to do that with me. Because everybody's, you're changing, right? She's got to learn the changes. I've got to learn the changes that goes on with life. It's the same thing in the relationship with God. God, it's not just simply reading something about him and knowing about him. You've got to know him. But how do you know him? By interacting with him personally. And that's why we're doing the Gospel of John. We're going through this to find out more about who he is so that we can grow in our relationship with him. But here's what it also reveals, and we're seeing this especially in this second section of John, what it reveals about ourselves and why people follow him and don't follow him. And so today we're going to get to the section of John, it's beyond. When we look at verse 12, we just saw that Mary anointed his feet with oil, and we saw the perspective that was given there, the focus on Judas and the rejection there. But we're going to see the triumphant entry today, as well as some other things and how people react to Jesus and what Jesus is saying. And ultimately, Jesus is going to communicate that if you want to follow him, you've got to make a choice. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? 
Because a lot of us, we assume that following Jesus is our decision. We just got to do this one thing and we're there, right? Jesus actually comes along and says, look, if you want to follow me, here's what you got to do. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about a personal choice. Now, why do we got to start there? Well, I want to start off with a couple of things that I'm going to say are the issue of true faith, okay? For you and I to ponder and consider before we look at the passage. When we talk about the issue of true faith, here's what we want to see. Here's First of all, we tend to oversimplify what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. We tend to oversimplify that. It used to be, so like if I think about it, I've been a believer since 1985, uh, you know, I can remember back then, it was, you know, to be a believer, you had to come to a place where you recognized your sin, and you needed Jesus, and so you prayed, and you asked Christ into your life. And even that, still, that message is still being conveyed today, but it's actually gotten a little bit more vague. It just simply needs to be, you just need to believe in Jesus, and you're okay. And sometimes they don't even emphasize that. You just need to say you're a Christian, and a lot of people are saying that. They're a Christian, but they don't have any clue what that means. So we tend to oversimplify the message. Now, I understand why we do that, okay? We all get to the same place. Why do we do that? It's because we love people. And because we love people, nobody wants people to go to hell, especially our loved ones, right? Especially our friends, especially the people that we hang out with, that we care about. We, we don't want them to go to hell, and so we want them to come to Jesus. And so what ends up happening, though, is sometimes the message of what Jesus says is a little hard for some folks. We've already seen that. We're going to see it again today. And so our tendency is, is to kind of reduce it down as much as possible because we want to make sure that they're okay. So we tend to oversimplify what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. But here's what I want you to see, and we're going to see it today. True faith is more than a mental acknowledgement of spiritual truths. True faith is more than a mental acknowledgement. Did you understand what I'm saying? True faith is more than just knowing about Jesus. It's knowing Jesus. There's a difference. It's more than just knowing a bunch of facts about him because you listened in Sunday school or whatever. Or you listen on radio or you listen to somebody that's on TV or whatever or you've read a book and so you've got some kind of mental understanding and you agree with whatever was presented with you. It's more than that. It goes beyond that. It goes to you personally interacting with God. And letting him interact with you. I'll give you an example. So, okay, this week, I was, I was bothered by something. I saw somebody, you know, in a, in, in a business situation doing something he shouldn't have been doing. And so I raised the question with somebody, okay, is this the way it's supposed to be? Because I feel like we're getting shafted here. I didn't use that word, but I feel like we're getting, uh, we're not... It's not going well with what's supposed to happen on our end, meaning the church. And uh, while I'm talking with the other person, the person who, quote, was supposed to, who done wrong, shows up and interjects in the conversation and makes his big explanation, which doesn't hold any water. 
And I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, because everybody knows who I am in town. You're in town for 21 years. People know who you are. So you, got, you just can't lose it. So you're like, okay, yeah, thank you for your answer. I'll ponder that. And I left. So I came right back here, pulled in, walked in the door, walked into my office, sat down in my chair, and I'm bothered. And here's what I do. God, you just saw what happened. You just saw what that guy did. And, 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 and I'm upset. I'm angry. I got it under control, but I'm angry. But there's nothing I can do about it. You ever been that way? All the time, right? What hour, George? Here's what happened. So I'm interacting, and, I'm, and I'm, I've got my Bible there, a Bible on my desk, and I go to Psalms. And I'm reading in Psalms, and I would encourage you to do this. If you read Psalms 6 through 7, I was just reading there again this morning, God makes it very clear that the wicked will fall to their own traps. And it was like God was saying to me, I got this. It may not turn out the way you want it to, but that dude's going to fall to his own habits, his own way of doing it. So let it go. And guess what I did? I said, okay, God. And I went on with my day and didn't think about it again ever. Why? Because I got more than a knowledge of God. I got a relationship with him. Did you know what I'm saying? And that's what we're doing with this study. We want to know him. And that's what I want you to understand. When we talk about true faith, we're not just talking about oversimplifying something. We're trying to get you to understand it's about a person who's real, who's alive. And that's who we need to interact with. And that brings it down to the issue for you and I, it's a personal choice. What do you mean? So let's look at this together. I want you to look with me, verse 12. It'll be up on the screen for some of you. We're going to look at verse 12 through 26. So at first, he's going to begin with the triumphant entry. And then he's going to move to some statements that he makes. Look with me, verse 12. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel! Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, and as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him, that they had done these things to him. Therefore the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, bore witness. 
And for this reason, the people also met him because they had heard what he had, that he had done this sign. The Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, You see that you accomplish nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came to worship, came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethesda of Galilee, and asking him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered him, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a, a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And if anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. All right, folks, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to take this section of Scripture, and we're going to divide it up into two sections. We're going to talk about the reactions to Jesus. We're going to see that with the triumphant entry. We're going to see that with how people respond to him because of the great sign that he did. What was that? The raising of Lazarus. And we're going to see the reactions of the Pharisees again. They're not happy, okay? And then what we're going to see is, is Jesus is going to talk about a choice. He's going to talk about a reality. His hour has come. Isn't that interesting? Up until this point, he's, out, he's said to them always, my hour has not come. My hour has not come. Now, here we are in chapter 12. What is he saying? My hour has come. What does that mean? We're going to talk about that, and then we're going to talk about what that means for you and I and the choice we have to make. Okay? So let's take a look at it. First of all, let's talk about the reactions. Okay? First thing I want you to see is, look, if you look at verses 12 to 18, the responses to Jesus are based on different levels of understanding. They're based on different levels of understanding. Even in this text, here they are, here's Jesus, he comes, they put him on a cult, people are crying out, Hosanna, remember this, we do this, we remember this in Palm Sunday, we don't do it in our church, but other churches, they'll have palm branches, the kids will wave palm branches or so forth. Maybe they'll make the palm branches in a little children's church or whatever. But here we are, we've got this, and, and they're, they're there. And, and the disciples didn't know what was going on, except later on after he was glorified, meaning he died and was raised from the dead, they realized this is, who we, this is what the Scripture said about him. All we were is excited that the Messiah was coming. So they've got different levels of understanding. Some there, what's their understanding? He raised some dude from the dead. And we're here for them. Or they've heard of all the wonderful things. So they've got different levels of understanding. And with that, they've got their reactions towards him. Listen, what does that mean for you and I? Here's the thing, okay? You've got to assume and understand this reality. Not everybody understands who Jesus is or everything about Jesus. So when you sit down with somebody and they say to you, yeah, Jesus, he's a wonderful guy, you maybe need to ask him, what do you mean by that? Because they may have a different answer than you think. You think, well, he's risen from the dead, I'm forgiven. They think he's a great teacher. 
They think he's this or what. Or just one of many gods in the world. You have to realize that the responses to Jesus are based on different levels of understanding. Here's the second thing. There are those who refuse to believe. You know, it's interesting to me. When you read through this section from chapter 7 through 12, here is Jesus. He's doing all these miraculous things. He ends with the greatest miracle ever, raising somebody up out of the grave who's been dead in a tomb for four days. He raises him up, and you still have people who will not believe. In fact, they're planning not just how to kill Jesus, but how to kill Lazarus. Why? Because they don't want to believe. I mean, the evidence is walking around among them. This is what blows my mind. Think about it for a moment. Here you are, you're in Jerusalem, you see this. Guess who's hanging out with Jesus, the one he raised from the dead, right, Nazareth? And somebody says, yeah, he raised this guy up out of the dead. Oh, I don't know if I can believe that. There he is. And they still refuse not to believe. What's going on here? It's a heart issue. They don't want to believe. Listen, I need you to understand that. Sometimes when you have loved ones or friends who just refuse to believe, another video series isn't going to bring them to the place of believing. It's a heart issue. And who changes hearts? God does. So how do you pray? God opened their eyes. Work in their heart. Help them to see. This is, this is the reality. In fact, these folks, if you look at verse 19, it's interesting. They're upset at how popular Jesus is getting. Look with me, verse 19. He says, the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. And what does he say? We're not getting anywhere is what they're saying. We're trying to make sure nobody's following. We're not getting anywhere. And he said, look, the world has gone after him. It's bothering them that Jesus is getting all this attention. Folks, he's the Messiah. He's supposed to get the attention, right? But this is the reaction. You got some, they're excited, but they have different levels of understanding. You've got this group, they don't want to believe. But then there's another group. They're the rejected. Look with me at verse 20 and 22. This is where we know the hour has come. Why? Because up until this point, Jesus has been ministering to who? Jews. Verse 20 there's another group. They're asking questions now. Look at what it says, verse 20. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came to worship at the feast. And then they came to Philip, who was from Bethesda of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Now, here's the other reaction. The rejected are interested in Jesus. Now, why do I call them the rejected? Well, because the, to the Jew, they are rejected. You realize in, 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 the, in the concept of the Scripture, 
of the Old Testament especially, there really are only two groups of people. There are those who are chosen, that is Israel, and then there's everybody else. Those who are chosen, what? They have an inheritance. They have a promise with God. Everybody else, they don't have an inheritance. They don't have any hope. There is nothing for them except hell. And here we are, we see Jesus, and of course, among those Jews, they got different attitudes and different thoughts. We've got the people who, who are rejecting Jesus, but here's the thing. The rejected, the people who are not like them, what's going on? They want to know. They're interested. They're interested. So this is where Jesus responds now. He gives us what is going to be a choice. So notice what happens. We see there in verse 22, they bring these guys, they go to Jesus and say, hey, there's some Greeks to talk to you. Jesus responds to that. And I want you to notice verses 23 to 26. He's not going to say anything about the Greeks, but he's going to talk about what's supposed to happen now. Look with me at verse 23. But Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man may be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternity, for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And, if, and where I am, there my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Okay, three things Jesus is saying here that help us with this choice. Number one, Jesus proclaims the necessity of his death for the sake of others. That's what he's saying here in verse 23. Verse 23, my hour has come that the Son of Man may be glorified. He goes on in verse 24 and says, most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it produces much grain. He's using an analogy that they would understand from their agrarian culture. Seeds, you plant seeds, they germinate, and what do they do? Produce a plant that produces fruit, grain, or so forth. And so here's his point. He's saying, my hour has come. What's he talking about? Where I'm going to be glorified. He's talking about, I'm going to have to die. And the reason for my dying is so that there is life. Not just his life, which will be given back. But for our lives, he's doing it for us. That's the gospel, isn't it? The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection for you and I. And he's doing it for us. Now, here's the second thing I want you to see. Here's what it is. Jesus points out the end results of our priorities. So if you and I are going to make a decision, we've got to get our, our priorities in line. What are our priorities? Look at what he says here. Verse 25. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. I remember, you know, when I became a believer... Back in 1985, so that would be 30-some years ago, I remember 
first reading that and being perplexed by that passage. What does that mean? Well, it's pretty obvious what it means. It's about your priorities. It's about what you're living for. If you're living for yourself, you're going to lose it. You're going to lose it. But if you're living for something else, you'll gain your life. Man, that's, that's a big principle. And actually, we understand that principle. What do we tell people who are, who are in the midst of depression? When you're in the midst of depression, you're spiraling downward. You're focusing on who? Yourself. We tell people who are in the midst of depression to get out of themselves. What does that mean? Focus on others. Isn't that what we do? Why? Because that's where life is. And so what's going on here is he's proclaiming, he's pointing out the end result of our life priorities. Where is your life? Now the problem is in a culture like ours, it's all about you and what you want and what you want to achieve. And we're all doomed to that. Even I as a pastor am doomed to that. But the problem is, is that when you focus on yourself, you lose it. But when you focus on what God wants and focusing there, you gain your life. As this happened in 1999, I had a friend. I was pastoring in Canada at the time, so that was my first church. And 99, 98 is when this happened. And my friend, he pastored a huge church on, by Canadian standards. It had over 500 people. Now that, that's big in Canada. And he and I were good friends. I'd known him at that point for 13 years. I talked to him three times a week. He was kind of like my mentor. He, for whatever reason, he, he fell. And with that, it destroyed his ministry. He, he had a relationship with his, with his secretary, and that was exposed, and, and rightfully so, he had to give up his ministry. But I remember, I remember he called the house. We had just gotten back from a pastor's conference up at some Christian camp in, in northern Ontario, and when I got back from that conference, I got walking pneumonia, so I was sick, Okay. And I remember going to the doctor and they gave me the antibiotics and I'm, I'm getting over my pneumonia. And a few days later, I get a phone call from him and he's saying, hey, George, it's so-and-so. Hey, how's it going? Oh, I'm not doing too well. And I said, did you get the pneumonia too? I've been laid up for a few days with this walking pneumonia. Man, you sound like you got pneumonia. No, no, George, I don't have... Can you meet me? And he told me where to meet me. It was at this gas station. I mean, it was a good hour between us, but the direct route, the main road, there were many places to meet. He wanted to meet off the beaten path at some gas station. He said, I need to talk to you. Okay. So at that point, we were a church plant. My office was at home. I came up from my office and I said, hey, Lori, I got to go meet this person. Something's wrong. And as I was walking out the door, this verse came to mind. If you lose your life, if you seek your life, you'll lose it. If you lose your life, you'll gain it. Why is that coming to my mind? So I drove out in the middle of nowhere to this gas station. Here comes a van. Guy, some guy's driving a van. I kind of know who the guy is. 
The door slides open. There's my friend in the back. He's wearing sweats. He hasn't shaved in a few days. He looks rough. I get in, and he tells me what happened. And that's a devastating thing for a young pastor because this is my mentor. He married Lori and I. He was on my ordination council. I mean, this is somebody I looked up to. And then I realized why God gave me that verse. I was to give it to him. Because, see, it's one thing to be exposed in sin. The question is, is what do you do after it's exposed? And the reality was, as I said to him, hey, I don't know, I'm supposed to share this with you. Here's what Jesus said. If you seek your life, you'll lose it. If you lose your life, you'll gain it. Think about that. So we, we talked a little bit more. We parted ways. It's a sad story. I can't get into it right now. The fact is, though, guess what he did? He tried to seek his life, tried to cover, tried to redeem what was redeemable at that point, and he lost it. Credibility, everything, went out the door. He destroyed himself. See, this is, this is the point I think ultimately Jesus is wanting us to understand. He points out the end results of your priorities. And listen, some of you right here, all that matters is what you want, what you want, what you want. And God's trying to say to you, bring it into focus. Because your life is out of focus and that's going to bring destruction. Get it back focused on me. And then you'll gain it. I was reading another passage this morning. Seek first the kingdom of God. He calls us to that. That's the choice. So here's the second thing I want you to see. And here's what he says. Look with me, verse 25. Here's what he says. No, excuse me, verse 26. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. Remember I told you it's more than just simply believing. God calls us to do something. What is he calling us to do? Follow him. Here's what I want you to see. Jesus calls those who express belief to follow him and be honored. Follow him. Now, let me not muddy the water, because here's the thing. I, I am a pastor. I've been in church for over 30 years now. You've been in church, some of you longer than I've been stomping around on this earth. Here's reality. In church, we can muddy the waters about what following Jesus means. So let me explain to you what following Jesus does not mean. It does not mean serving in Sunday school. Although... That could be a part of it, but that's not what it means. It doesn't mean being a missionary to Africa or becoming a preacher. And that's what we like to think. We like to think it's some kind of ministry to do. No, no, no. Following him is following and doing what he tells you to do where? In the everyday areas of your life, in your home in your neighborhood, in your workplace. Living your life according to what he wants you to do there. 
doing what he says. It's more than just, oh, I believe. It's, I want to do what you're telling me to do, Jesus. How do I handle this situation? How do I cope? How do I respond? And that's what it means to be a follower. It's going beyond just simply believing and letting it be lived out in your life because you have a what with him? A relationship. See, that's what's important. That's what's important. So where do we go with this? Let me wrap this up for you. Where are you at? It's one thing to say you believe. A lot of people say that. But the question comes down to, is it more than just a belief to you? Does the one who you believe in interact with you? Does he guide you? Does he strengthen you? Does he give you wisdom for the day? Do you talk to him? Like I did, complaining about somebody being a jerk. And wrestling with that. Do you know what I'm saying? Is it more than just a belief? That's the question you have. Now here's the thing. I can't make that decision for you. I wish I could. I wish I could just go around and touch everybody and say, okay, from here on out, you and God are close. It doesn't work. You have to be close, which means you have to what? Listen. <laughs> That's the first thing, right? Relationships aren't built on just talking. They're built on listening. And then expressing. But that's the question. Are you walking with him? Do you know him? Because that's what he calls you to. Let me pray for you.